coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Jump on our deal right now, guys. Go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and when you do, use our promo code UGA, and you know the drill. They're going to hook you up with a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit, so make sure to take advantage of this deal while you still can. you got about a month or so. They've extended it a couple different times, but they're telling me right now, After March Madness is done with, no more extending this deal until maybe, hopefully, possibly next football season. So jump on it while you can. Again, that's myboogie.ag, promo code UGA. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and love it or hate it, we have a brand new wide receivers coach as Kirby Smart has tabbed a familiar face in James Coley to take over for Brian McClendon in a position he previously served in under Kirby Smart from 2016 to 2017. We talked about this a little bit last week, that this was a possibility. I didn't know if he was a leading candidate, but I had heard from a few birdies out there that, hey, this is a name to at least watch. And lo and behold, it actually does end up being James Coley. Love it or hate it, Coley is back in town, but count me on the side of those who actually love this hire. I know that's a far from universal feeling as there are certainly more than a few skeptics out there who just simply cannot find it within themselves to get past the disaster, admittedly, the disaster that was the 2019 Georgia offense that, yes, James Coley did coordinate in his lone season calling plays for the dogs a few years back. And look, I'm not here to tell you how to feel. You all are grown men, grown women, and you can feel any way that you want to feel. You have that right. But if you are hating on this Coley hire, I am going to challenge that view today here on the show. And in the process, also explain, number one, why I think Kirby Smart made this move. And number two, why I am 100% on board with this hire. If you are a skeptic, if you are a naysayer, if you are one of those over the past couple of days that has pointed out that James Coley was a failure as an offensive coordinator here at Georgia, you aren't wrong. I can't really say that you're wrong. Well, at least you aren't wrong in asserting that James Coley was deficient in that one year calling plays under Kirby Smart. But here's how I would push back on that. That is a false equivalency. If you are looking back at 2019 and how James Coley performed as our offensive coordinator, and you're using that to inform your opinion on how he is going to fare as our new wide receivers coach, That is a false equivalency when you are considering this particular hire for this particular position. How Coley fared as our OC back in 2019, that's entirely irrelevant to this decision to bring him back on board as our wide receivers coach. They're different positions, right? We get that, right? We're not bringing him back to call plays. I'm with you. I'm totally 100% with all of you not wanting Coley the play caller back. I don't want that guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I still have trauma from the 2019 season, especially those back-to-back games late in the year, Auburn and A&M, where like, did we even surpass 250 yards in either one of those games? I remember that year. I remember those frustrations. I remember their conversation. So no, I don't want Coley the play caller back. But here's the thing. We aren't hiring Coley the play caller. 
We're hiring James Coley, the recruiting ace. We're hiring Coley for the role in which he has excelled his entire career. Say what you want about the guy as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller. All of those criticisms are entirely fair. I'm with you on all of those. But he has been nothing short of fantastic as a position coach, really everywhere that he's been in his career. That's what this guy is built to do. That's where he excels. And that is what we are hiring him for. That is what we are going to be asking him to do for the next however many years. Again, say what you want about him as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller. Those criticisms are legitimate. But this man is one of the top recruiters in the entire country. You can't really challenge that. That's just the situation. That is what he is. And recruiting as a position coach is about 50-ish percent of the job, if not more. And not only is he one of the top recruiters in the country, bar none, he has experience recruiting the state of Georgia, number one, has plenty of built-in connections from his time both at Florida State and Georgia recruiting this state, has those connections with high school coaches. He knows the terrain. But beyond that, he's also perhaps the preeminent recruiter of the prodigious hotbed of football talent that is South Florida. There's not many places in this country that has more high-level football talent per capita than South Florida. And that man has as many connections, recruits that area as well as anybody in the country. And his resume during his time at Georgia alone, I'm not talking about his time at Florida State, Miami, Texas A&M, I'm just talking about his time here at Georgia it speaks to that. It speaks to that reputation. It speaks to his ability to recruit the best players in the country, especially from the state of Florida and South Florida in particular. I mean, we're talking about guys like Riley Ridley, George Pickens, Tyreek Stevenson, James Cook, Tyson Campbell, Dominic Blaylock, Kenny McIntosh, Kyrus Jackson, Devon Wilson, Carson Beck, just to name a few. All of those guys, he was either the primary recruiter or was a secondary recruiter heavily involved in their recruitment. And how many of those guys are in the NFL right now? Tyree Stevens is in, in the NFL right now. George Pickens is in the NFL. James Cook starting for the Buffalo Bills, one of the best running backs in the entire NFL. Tyson Campbell starting the NFL, or at least is in the NFL. I don't know if he's still starting. I know he's in the NFL. Uh, Donald Blaylock's at Tech, uh, yeah, but that's that's injury-related more than anything. Kenny McIntosh is in the NFL. Kiaris Jackson in the NFL. Devon Wilson, I don't think, is in, in the NFL. Obviously, he transferred to UCF later in his career. Carson Beck is going to be in the NFL. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. I know Carson is not a South Florida guy. I know he's a, he's a Jacksonville guy. Pickens, obviously, is from Alabama. Donald Blaylock's from Atlanta. But all those guys are players that James Coley played a major role in bringing to the University of Georgia. We're talking, we're talking big-time players. Nobody on that list is a scrub. Those are all big-time players, and James Coley played a major role in all of them coming to play for the Dogs. And that is what he's being brought back on board to do. Recruit guys like that. Make sure our roster stays one of the top rosters in the country because Kirby Smart puts an emphasis on recruiting. He's done that since day one. He understands you got to have the dudes if you want to win at the highest level. And James Coley is a guy that will help make sure you keep a roster full of those kind of dudes that can help you win national titles. Now, I did have what I thought was a very interesting question posed to me over the weekend, and I thought it was worth addressing here on the show. I thought it was a thought-provoking question, and it, uh, it certainly, in the modern context of college football, it bears some discussion. So the question that I was asked was, how much does Coley's recruiting prowess really matter 
in the age of NIL, especially in light of the very recent uh, Supreme Court decision over the, I guess Friday, I guess over the weekend, when they ruled 9-0 in favor of Tennessee in their lawsuit against the NCAA? Fair question, right? Well, here's what I would say. Does NIL mitigate the importance of a coach's recruiting ability, at least to some degree? Yes, sure. Of course, I, I would agree with that. But I also don't think it's a universal thing. I think it's different for every player. It's a player-by-player player s- situation. Some out there are truly just for hire to the highest bidder. There are absolute players out there who fit that profile. They are just going to go to whoever gives them the most money. And that's part of the reality in the current context of college football, at least where we are right now in the sport. Guys like Nico Imaliava from Tennessee, the guy who was basically the subject of that lawsuit or is the subject of the NCAA investigation in Tennessee, which prompted the lawsuit, he's one of those guys, right? Tennessee reportedly paid him, what, $7 million? I think the story essentially goes that Tennessee had a booster, fly a private jet out to California to pick up Nico and his family, brought him back to Tennessee, met with a booster there, basically got the deal set up and then put him back on a private jet and flew him back to California. A guy like that from California coming to Tennessee very clearly is just going to the highest bidder. Who's giving me the most money? Who's offering me the most perks? All that kind of stuff. That's what happened there, or at least reportedly what happened there. And for some other high-level prospects out there in the country, some of the top players out there every single year, the highest ranked guys, that is a reality for some of those guys. But that's not the case for all of them. Not every recruit is out there just to go to the highest bidder. I would actually argue most of the guys still have to be recruited. Yeah, NIL is part of just about every recruitment these days. I mean, really, every recruitment has like some NIL component to it, but it's not always a dominant factor in these recruitments. Some guys, yes, that is the case. Like with Nico Iamaliava, that was clearly the decisive factor for him, but that's not the case with all of them. Because if it was, let me ask you, if if recruiting ability didn't matter, and the only thing that mattered was who was giving a player the most money, the highest offer, why would you ever send coaches out on the road? Why would you ever make in-home visits? Why would you ever bother to call a player, to text a player every day? Why would you ever bother to host them on campus? Hell, why would you even bother to have an entire recruiting department if none of that mattered? Why would you spend all the money that you have to invest into all of those things if all that mattered was how much money you're going to give the player? You wouldn't, right? You wouldn't. The reality is NIL is certainly a factor in recruiting, but it's not the only factor in recruiting for the vast majority of these players. So while the one-on-one salesmanship that is recruiting might not play as prominent of a role in the recruiting game as maybe at one stick, because you do have this new factor with NIL, those relationships still do very much matter. And James Coley is a master at building and cultivating those relationships with players, with coaches, with family members. That's what this guy does. That's what he does. And again, that is what we are asking this guy to do in this role as our wide receivers coach. I certainly am not going to sit here and tell you that James Coley is going to arrive here in Athens on his white horse and single-handedly solve all of our long-standing wide receiver recruiting issues, I'm not going to tell you that because that would be a lie, right? That's not going to happen. That would be misleading at the very least. But saying that still, James Coley is the best and most connected recruiter we have had in that position recruiting wide receivers in the entirety of the Kirby Smart era. Yes, Brian McClendon is a very, very strong recruiter himself. Absolutely was. 
but James Coley's a better recruiter. He has a long-standing history of that being the case. And look, recruiting isn't everything, right? It's not just about having the best players on your team. A&M is a glaring recent example of that. But as I have often said throughout the almost 10 years now of doing this podcast, it's not the only thing that matters, so the only factor involved in winning national titles, but it is the most important component of winning championships. If you don't have the dudes, you aren't winning titles, period. I mean, guys, just think about the teams that are routinely vying for spots in the college football playoff. I know this year we had the new 12-team playoff, but in the years past, we had a four-team playoff. Think about it. Who is it year in, year out? It's Georgia. It's Alabama. It's Ohio State. It's Michigan. It was Clemson where they had the generational quarterbacks and running backs and receivers. It was Oklahoma when they had the Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback. Texas, Florida State more recently. All of these programs recruit at a high level year in and year out. Some more than others, but all of them have shown the ability to recruit at a top five level in the relatively recent past. With maybe the exception of Clemson, who's more of like a 10 to 15 recruiting team, but they had the generational quarterbacks, two two of them in a row, and you had some really good receivers go along with it. They had the right talent in the right spots, elite talent in the right spots. But now in that elite talent, those generational guys and quarterback left, now where is Clemson, right? Oh yeah, they're not sniffing the college football playoff because their overall roster isn't good enough because they don't recruit at a high enough level on a consistent basis. Recruiting at a 10 to 15 level, that's good. That can put you in contention to win ACC titles, but you're not going to win national titles that unless you have just transcendent talent at the most important positions, a la Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. So yes, just from a recruiting standpoint alone, which is a massive part of what we ask our position coaches to do, I absolutely love this hire, but that's not all of it. And I'll get back to it in just a second here. When we get back from a break, I'll explain a couple more reasons why I love this hire by Kirby Smart. But first, let me remind you guys again about our wonderful friends at my bookie. We are basically in March. I know it's February 25th. I'm recording this right now, but at the end of the week, it will be March. So we are just a couple of weeks away from March Madness. College basketball has taken center stage and there are so many opportunities. Guys, the cool thing about college basketball is that you don't just wait till Saturdays to get games. You have it all week long. So there are so many opportunities for you to bet on, so many games to bet on. So jump in on this action while you can, guys. And don't forget, my bookie has the cash out early option that I actually took advantage of this weekend. I had a parlay, I had a 14 parlay. I, I hit the first three and didn't want to sweat the last one out. Uh, late Saturday night because, you know, you never know. It could get kind of iffy there. So I went and cashed out. And actually, good thing I did because the parlay would not have hit if I did not cash out early. So you guys can also take advantage of that awesome feature. But it's so simple to get started, guys. Just go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA, and they will give you that 50% bonus on your first deposit. So if you deposit 200 bucks, you get an extra 100 to play with to help you build that bankroll heading into the NCAA tournament. So again, guys, jump on it while you can. Mybookie.ag. AG, promo code UGA, and get started betting anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. So yeah, I love the Coley hire just from the recruiting standpoint alone. If it just stopped there, I would say great hire. But the cool thing about this hire is that's not the only reason why I like it. I think it's more than just the recruiting aspect of this. Hiring James Coley in my opinion, makes this a seamless transition. There's essentially no learning curve here 
for James Coley, for the program, for Kirby Smart, for the offensive coordinator. There's really no getting up to speed. I mean, the only learning curve that there would be involved here is him learning more about the players he has to work with in his room. That's really about it from a, an offensive philosophy standpoint, from an administrative standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a knowing what Kirby Smart demands standpoint. There's no learning curve there. He's got that. There's no adjusting to Kirby's demands. There's no uncertainty on the part of Kirby Smart of, hey, can this guy work for me? Kirby knows exactly what he's getting. He knows exactly what he's getting here. He knows. He doesn't have to guess here. He knows that James Coley can work for him and only work for him can excel in this role working under Kirby Smart. And Kirby also knows that James Coley fits this culture because he's been part of this culture. Hell, James Coley was a big part of building this culture. He was here at the very beginning. He was one of those OGs who helped lay the groundwork for the program that we have now, the national championship caliber program that we have. No, he wasn't around. He didn't stick around to see the fruits of his labor, but made no mistake about it. He helped lay that groundwork. And on top of that, he has relationships within the staff. He has relationships within the athletic department overall. He has relationships within our recruiting department. And hiring anyone else comes with at least some risk because you might think you know, like during the interview process, you might come away saying, I'm pretty sure this guy can work for me. I think he can, but you don't know. You think he can be a fit for the culture. You might say, man, you know what? I have a really good feeling about this guy. He, he seems like he's going to be a really good fit. He seems like he'll be a culture fit, but you don't know until you know. Jamil Adai is an example of that. I'm not saying he, like, he is a bad guy or anything, but he just wasn't a fit for our program. Like working under Kirby just wasn't for him. And that that's the case sometimes. Like working under Saban, you know, years and years ago, like it was a fit for some people. Some people just couldn't hack it. Some people had to get out of there as soon as they possibly could. And with Coley, there's no risk here. There's essentially no risk because number one, again, he was here at the beginning, helped lay the groundwork. He's an OG of this Kirby Smart program, helped build it up, right? So he knows the culture. He knows Kirby Smart. He understands the demands. He understands the expectations. He understands the athletic department at large. He understands how our organization operates, which actually, actually guys, that's a pretty big deal. There's no questions there. There's no risk. He gets it. And also on top of that, he's played this role before. This exact position, he's coached before. He's done it, and he did it at an extraordinarily high level. So why would he not be able to do it again now, a couple years later? Again, no risk. There's just no risk here when anyone else, there is at least some risk involved with that. I'm not saying those guys couldn't have been home run hires. Maybe they would have been, but there's at least a little bit of risk inherent in that. With Coley, I just go back to it. As a position coach, where's the risk? Like, what's the downside? What's the downside here? There really isn't any. And another question I was asked was, what about his ability to develop wide receivers? Like, yeah, we know he can recruit. Like, cool, that's great, but that's part of the job. The other part is you actually have to like coach these guys up and develop wide receivers. I think that's also a fair question to ask. And look, he was only here as our receivers coach for two years, 2016, 2017. Then he got promoted to be the uh, core bass coach because AM was trying to hire him and Kirby didn't want to lose him as a recruiter. So we gave him a, we gave him a, a, a promotion to co-OC, core bass coach, and a, and a nice little raise, a financial bump to go along with that. But he did coach receivers here for two years. And in those two years, small sample size, sure, there are a couple of things I'm going to point out here. Number one, Miko Hardman, okay? I'm not saying Miko Hardman left Georgia as like the most technically sound receiver in the history of receivers. That 
wasn't the case. He's still not that even in the NFL right now. Miko is an elite athlete. But I will say this for James Coley. He took Miko Hardman, who let's not forget Miko Hardman started his first year at Georgia as a DB before we decided to make the change like, oh yeah, this guy's too viable on offense. Let's make that move. And who was the wide receivers coach who helped him make that transition, helped make that a, I would say, a relatively successful transition for a guy going from DB to wide receiver at the power five level. Yeah, it was James Coley. I would also point to Terry Godwin. Now, Terry Godwin, we know, is never an elite receiver at Georgia, but Terry was a good receiver for us. But who was his wide receivers coach when he had his best years in Athens, particularly 2017, when he had by far his best season as a Georgia Bulldog? It was, you guessed it, James Coley. I would throw out Javon Wims as well. Javon Wims, a guy that we got from Juco, like coming from nowhere. He comes in first year, you know, very, very modest year, but year two, give another year to work with James Coley, Javon Wims puts about 750 yards receiving and becomes a legit weapon at the receiver position in the SEC to the point that he played in the NFL. He actually might still be in the NFL somewhere, but he played in the NFL. James Coley certainly had a hand in that, taking a guy from Juco and helping mold him into a really productive SEC receiver and a guy who got a shot in the NFL. Now, that's not me sitting here telling you that James Coley is the best technician of a wide receiver coach. I, I don't think that's the case. There's certainly guys out there who pro- who played the position, probably have a better feel for how to teach the, the, the minute technical aspects of the position. That's fair. But Coley's resume will tell you that there are some guys that he coached up, some, some legit receivers that he put out there. And while he, he was not a success as an offensive coordinator, as we've already laid out, he was not. But still... Despite the fact that it didn't go as as we wanted it to with him as our offense coordinator here, and he's also was at Miami, he was OC at Florida State or Jimbo Fisher, although he wasn't calling plays there. But just having that role, playing that role, and looking at the offense from a holistic standpoint, understanding where you want receivers to be, what you want them to be doing, that does give you a certain level of perspective and an understanding of what those receivers need to be doing. So this guy's been around for a long time, guys. I know he's coached receivers. I know he's coached tight ends. I know he's coached quarterbacks, but I'm not worried about his ability to like develop talent. Again, I know he only spent two years here as our wide receivers coach, but I thought he did a pretty damn good job with the receivers that he was working with while he was here. Was he the, was he the best technician? No, I'm not going to tell you that he was, but I think he's plenty good enough when you go along, especially with his recruiting chops, to give me a lot of reason to be excited about this hire. Now, the last thing I do want to address here, one more criticism that I want to address that I saw thrown about this weekend. I saw a lot of people say, like the naysayers out there, and look, you're entitled to think what you want to think. That's fine. A lot of you don't agree with me, and that's that's totally cool. It's what makes the world go round. But I did see quite a few people throw out the notion that this is just another example, just the latest example of Kirby Smart bypassing more qualified candidates in favor of one of his buddies. Just another example of Kirby adding to the frat house he is building inside Buttsmere. I saw plenty of people throw that idea out there. Well, let me address that real quick here. All right, these are just my thoughts, all right? Humbly, my thoughts. But first off, I think that demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of Kirby Smart. This man wants to win more than any one of us out there. It consumes this human being. And everything he does 
is in service. At least everything he does as the head coach at the University of Georgia, everything he does in that role is in service to that single-minded goal, winning. You might not agree with him bringing Coley back. That's fine. But he's doing so. He's bringing Coley back because he thinks that that is what is in the best interest of the University of Georgia winning more football national championships. Now, you can say that you think he's wrong, but that's different than him just hiring a guy because it's one of his buddies and he's trying to do one of his friends a solid. That is not what's happening here. Kirby believes that James Coley is the best hire for this program to help us get back to winning national championships and to continue winning national championships on into the future. That is why he rehired James Coley in this role. Will he be right? That remains to be seen. I personally think he will, he will end up being proven right. You might not agree. That's fine. But he hired him because he thinks James Coley is the best guy for the job. That's how Kirby Smart attacks everything that he does in his role as the head coach of the Georgia football program. And I know that there are those of you out there, I don't know if there's any of you listening, maybe some of you, I don't know, but I know there are people out there who go back and, and like you, the evidence you used as you point to when he promoted Coley Dolphins coordinator. You say, oh, well, you know, he made a mistake there. He, he just promoted his buddy. Yeah, I agree. He made a mistake there. But again, let's go back to why he promoted Coley. He did not promote Coley just because he had some loyalty to him out of, out of like their longstanding friendship and their personal feelings towards one another. That is not why he promoted James Coley. Let's not rewrite history here. He promoted James Coley to offensive coordinator to retain him on staff because he put so much value on his recruiting ability, which again is why we're hiring him right now. And he felt like as co-offensive coordinator, Coley would help keep continuity with our offense with a team, a roster that Kirby thought could contend for a title. Now, it didn't work out. We all know it didn't work out. It was a mistake. Well, chronicle mistake. But what did Kirby do immediately after the season. What did he do? He demoted his buddy, right? Right? Why did he do that? Because he knew he wasn't getting the job done. And like I said, let's go back to it. Everything this man does is in service to what's best for the University of Georgia trying to win football national championships. That's why he hired Mike Bobo. That's why he brought Will Muschamp back on staff. That's why he's bringing James Coley back into this program. And you know what? The other two guys he brought back that he had a friendship with worked out pretty well, right? Will Muschamp worked out pretty well. Mike Bobo worked out pretty well, right? Now, I know there's still Bobo haters out there. I know that. And we're going to address that later in the offseason. I'm, I'm going back to my film study right now. I'm a little bit into that. I got a little bit more ways to go. And I'm going to have uh, some very in-depth thoughts on that for you guys. But right now, let's just say top five offense nationally, that's getting the job done. And look, let's go back to it. Maybe those of you who are skeptical of this hire, maybe you'll be right. Maybe you will be. I don't know why James Coley would be worse as a wide receivers coach in that role now than he was back in 2016, 2017, but who knows? Maybe for some reason you'll end up being right. But let's just say for argument's sake, even if you are right, even if James Coley doesn't get the job done as our wide receivers coach, I have no reason to believe that Kirby Smart won't do the exact same thing he did back in 2019 when it was clear that James Coley wasn't getting the job done as our offensive coordinator. 
And who cares if they are friends? Like, why is it a problem if a coach hires somebody that he has a friendship with? If the guy gets the job done and we continue to win at a high level, why does it matter? It would only matter if there was a situation where these guys were sticking around way too long. They weren't getting the job done and Kirby was just so loyal to a fault that he would never move on and never and never make the move and never fire these guys. Kind of like, you know, Mark Rick with Lee Martinez for a little while there. But Kirby has shown no such qualms in moving on from his buddies. Like James Coley is the prime example of that. So with that history, I just don't see like why is it a problem? Like why would the fact that Kirby's friends with James Coley be a disqualifying factor for James Coley? Like that's just, that's crazy. You want him to just bring in somebody that he does get along with, somebody that he has no relationship with and like you don't know if they'll actually mesh well together. Like that, that's just counterintuitive to me. And here's the other thing with James Coley. Let's think about this. James Coley has not had success as an offensive coordinator. I think that's pretty clear at this point, right? We've, we've talked about that. So I don't really think there's much of a market for him. I know there's not now, and I don't think there will be moving forward. I don't think there's going to be much of a market for him as an offensive coordinator anywhere else, which gives me reason to believe there's not all that much of a likelihood that James Coley will be looking to move on to greener pastures anytime soon after taking this job. And like I know you can replace position coaches. It happens. You have to from time to time. It's just part of the part of the deal. But Kirby has shown in the past that he puts a premium on continuity within his program. He thinks that's important. And at this stage in his career, James Coley is 50 years old. He's still relatively young for a football coach, for a college football coach. But at this stage in his career, with what he's gone through, I just I think it's a stretch to think that there's some program that's going to come pry him away pry him away from us with like an offensive coordinator's offer, right? Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And I, if he leaves Georgia, it'd be a, number one to go to the NFL, which I guess is possible, but I don't, I've never really heard him connection with the NFL. I don't think that's going to happen. I think like his number one quality as a coach, like his, his top skill set is recruiting. And that really is only a thing at the college level. So I don't think NFL is going to be calling for him. I don't think that's really where he's going to go. Maybe he's just tired of doing it and he just wants to go. Maybe that's a possibility. We're seeing that all over the country these days. And then the only other reason he would leave is if another team just made him an offer that he couldn't refuse, right? They just paid him like a bananas amount of money. But Kirby Smart shown in the past with assistant coaches, and even with James Coley specifically, that he's willing to pony up to keep guys that he values in his program. And I know that he values James Coley in that role, in that position. So I guess what I'm saying here is I think in hiring James Coley, you help ensure continuity at that position into the future more than you would with probably any other person that you were considering for that job. Like Crawford from Georgia Tech, I mean, he's a young coach. Like he, I'm sure, has aspirations to be an offensive coordinator somewhere, has aspirations of maybe being a head coach somewhere, and would maybe use our position as a stepping stone. I think it's a likely stepping stone for him, right? Like, like look at Fran Brown. Like, that's kind of what these guys do. Like, they're, they are ambitious. They want to move on. They want to be office coordinators. They want to be head coaches and those kind of guys. And that, at that point in their career, they would look at this position as just a stepping stone to launch them to those higher goals they have. Coley, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't want to be a coordinator. I'm not saying he doesn't want to be a head coach. You've got the opportunity. I'm just saying that I don't think those opportunities are coming his way the way they might for some of these younger coaches like Fran Brown or Crawford or whoever out there, because he's kind of been there, done that, and he hasn't had a ton of success as a coordinator. If Coley, you know, got an offer from a smaller school, maybe they might bring him in as a, as a head coach type guy based on his recruiting ability. Maybe some smaller school in Florida, maybe a G5 school, but 
is that really like what James Coley wants to do? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I just am telling you, I think there's a much stronger likelihood that James Coley will be sticking around for at least a couple of years, more so than some of the other guys that we were considering for that job, which I think is another reason to like this hire, especially if you put a premium on continuity the way that Kirby does, and I generally do as well. But uh, yeah, James Coley, new new wide receivers coach. I'm excited about it. I don't know how you all feel. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you guys on social media. Hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com. I've gotten uh, some some feedback from a lot of you out there this weekend. I'd love to hear from some more of you guys out there. But I'm excited about it. I think it's a really good move for us and Kirby Smart uh, just bringing a guy that he knows and a guy that he knows is successful, can be successful, and has been successful for us in that role. But when we come back from the break, guys, I do quickly want to recap the weekend that was and some of the other Georgia sports. Talk a little baseball, a little basketball. But let me remind you first about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, the weather's starting to heat up. We're going to be in the lowish to midish 70s at times this week. So you might want to get back into Alumni Hall and find some of that spring gear. They've got a ton of baseball gear out there. So you make it over to Foley Field. You want to be decked out all the newest, best Georgia baseball gear. And Alumni Hall has stuff that you're not going to find anywhere. They've got the polos. They've got t-shirts. They've got a great selection of Georgia baseball jerseys. I'm not personally a big jersey guy myself, but I'm telling you, I almost had to pick up like all of them because they just looked awesome. But I, I didn't because I, I don't know. I'm just not a, I'm not a jersey guy. I know a lot of people are. It's just, I don't know, not my vibe. But I know a lot of you love that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, Alumni Hall, they've got so many great Georgia baseball options for you. It's not even funny. You're not going to find a selection like that anywhere else. But if you're looking for Georgia football gear, they've got that. Even if you're still looking for some Georgia basketball gear, they got some Georgia basketball gear. Whatever you're looking for, they've got you covered. So stop in today inside the Epps British Shopping Center here in the wonderful Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's talk, uh, what do you want to start with? Baseball, basketball, baseball, basketball. I guess let's go Let's go basketball first real quick and just get this out of the way. Yep, another game, another loss. Hey, we beat Vandy. We got off the schneid, right, into that six-game losing streak. We actually played well against Vandy. Like, we never win in Nashville. I mean, Vandy's terrible, so you can only get so excited about that. But, hey, we took care of business, won that basketball game. Great. We came home. I thought maybe we had a shot to beat Auburn. Look, I know that Auburn is much better than us, guys. I watch a lot of college basketball, and Auburn is a good basketball team. But, you know, we've played really well at home against some of those teams that are far better than us, Alabama, Tennessee, to, to name a few. But no, no, not this time. Not this time around. It wasn't one of those cases. Hey, I know a lot of you are, are very tired and frustrated with jumping out these big leads and then blowing them late. Well, hey, you know what? Fortunately for you guys on Saturday night, you didn't have to watch that same story play out again. We just, uh, yeah, we got beat from the get-go, man. Um, yeah, I mean, we were kind of there-ish early in the game. Then about the what the 16-minute timeout, they started to pull away. I'll give our guys some credit. They fought back in the second half, and we were down double digits, you know, I would say half of the first half. We fought back in the second half. We cut it down. I think we got to like five or six at a point. But, you know, Auburn's just better than us. And they start hitting shots, and we can't defend anybody. So they pulled away, and they ended up winning by 20 points. What, 97, 76? Yeah, we gave up 97 points, guys. That's um, And that's really the story here. Like, we're scoring. Like, we're scoring enough points to win games. We simply cannot stop anybody from scoring the basketball. I've talked about this several times on the show over the past month or so. It's just, it's truly baffling to me. 
I think we actually have some good defensive players. I think RJ Melendez is a really good defensive player. I think Silas Demery has the potential and can be, has the skill set to be a really good defensive point guard. Sometimes he's playing the two guard. Now, there are some guys that are liabilities. Russell Chiwa, I mean, is a liability. We have no rib protection. Okay, we have no rib protection. Chiwa has, has been good for us offensively. He really has been. But mostly, mostly. But defensively, I mean, he just, he, he can't jump. He can't move. There's zero rib protection whatsoever. Uh, shoot, man, Jabri Abdurrahim is playing really hard. He's really improved as a defender over the course of his career, but he's still not a great defender. Noah Thomason is a minus defender. He's not great. We still just can't defend a basic ball screen, man. It's just it's crazy. We're trying to go to some zone stuff, 1-3-1 one, one zone looks, and teams are just carving us up in that. It's just, man, anything we've tried, like we, we've we tried – to mix up our rotations, we're playing guys like Dylan James more. It's just nothing's working, man, and it's baffling because we were, we were actually good defensively early in the season. That's how we kind of got off to a, a solid start in the non-con. We, we beat Wake Forest. No, Wake Forest wasn't full, wasn't a full strength when we played them. Efton Reed wasn't playing for them yet. He was still ineligible, waiting on a ruling, and the Austin ruling came out, and he was able to play, but hey, we beat them, we beat, I mean, Tech's not good, we beat Tech, we go and beat Florida State, so we won some games, and our defense was a big part of why, but in SEC play, I mean, guys, it's just, it's almost unwatchable, it, it's it's terrible, I mean, we are dead last now in the league in field goal percentage, 14th, we're giving up 48% shooting from the field, Guys, that, that that's not acceptable. That can't happen. I mean, our opponents are essentially making half of their shots. One out of every two shots essentially is going in against us. You can't win ball games like that. Teams are truly scoring at will against us. Auburn scored 97. Florida scored 88. Arkansas was freaking terrible, scored 78. Mississippi State, who cannot score. They have one guy in Josh Hubbard who can actually score the basketball. They scored 75. You go back to Alabama. Alabama dropped 85 on us. Florida, I know it was an overtime game, but 102 in overtime. Kentucky, 105. Now, Kentucky is crazy good offensively, so there, there's that. Tennessee, 85. I mean, guys, like, we, we can't stop anything. We can't stop anyone, man. It's It's gotten comically bad. And in those losses, I mean, we scored 96 points against Kentucky. We scored 98 points against Florida. We scored 76 against Bama. We scored 79 against Tennessee. We scored 75 on the road against Arkansas. We scored 82 against Florida in the second go-around. We scored 76 against Auburn. Like, that should be enough points to win a fair number of those games. But we haven't won a single freaking one of them because we can't stop anyone. We're giving up 80 points per game. That's 10th in the league. Our rebounding margin has been terrible all year. Like Our defensive rebounding has just been an absolute train wreck all year long. We're 10th in the league. We're negative 1.86 in rebounding margin. We are only averaging six steals per game, which is almost at last 12th in the league. We just can't do anything right defensively. Can't defensive rebound. Can't force turnovers. Can't defend the three-point line. We're 11th in the league in three-point shooting defense. 36% is what teams are shooting against us. We can't stop anyone in the lane. Can't stop, just can't stop anyone. Can't do anything defensively. Again, I do think our lack of root protection is a big part of it because teams, when they get into the lane, like they're just scoring at will. If they can get into the lane, if they beat us off the dribble, which happens from time to time in basketball, if they beat us off the dribble, they're going to score because we have no one to protect the rim. And we basically refuse to play Frank Anselm, who's the one guy on our roster that actually can give us some rim protection. 
We also don't, I mean, we don't really have great on-ball defenders. I do think RJ Melendez is one of those guys. I do think that he's a really good help defender. Uh, but like Noah Thomas, I mentioned, like on-ball defender, he's not it, man. Justin Hill, not it as an on-ball defender. Jabri's really trying. He's improved so much, but he's still not a great on-ball defender. I think Blue Kane actually is a good on-ball defender. I think he actually might be our best overall defender. He plays hard. He's smart out there. I know he's got the reputation as like a shooter, but I actually think for a freshman, he plays really good defense for us. He does have fresh mistakes, to be sure, certainly, but I think largely he's good on the defensive side of the ball. But those guys are are few and far between right now. It's just a struggle, man. It's just a struggle, and I I don't know, man. I don't have much hope the rest of the season. If you look at what we've got left, I mean, we're at LSU. LSU's, I mean, they're better than us right now. They've been playing better than us. They beat Kentucky at home. I still think that roster-wise, they're not significantly better than us, but we're just... I don't want to say our guys aren't playing. Our guys are still fighting. I don't know if they're fighting as hard as they were earlier in conference play, but I still think that they're fighting. They're trying, man. They're trying to stay in it, but it's just not happening. So at LSU, like that's a game maybe we can get on the road. I don't know. We'll see. A&M at home, A&M's kind of falling apart. That's an, I mean, they're out of the tournament right now. They need a win desperately. We get them at home on Saturday. Hey, I know Auburn, it's a different situation because they – so it's a quick drive for them from Auburn. They're coming from there, but there's a lot of Auburn people in the state of Georgia and the Atlanta area because, I mean, why would you want to live in Auburn, Alabama, or Alabama in general? Why? When you can go live in Georgia and Atlanta. So they have a lot of people in Atlanta. It's easy for them to get to this game. Look, they're good at basketball. I get it. They're excited about it. We're not. So they bought up a lot of tickets. So if you're in there, if you were in Stegman on Saturday night, you saw what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, I don't want to say there were more Auburn fans than Georgia fans, but there there were a lot. There were a lot. There wasn't much of a difference there. They were very, very loud, and they were, uh, yeah, they were taunting us towards the end of the game, which, hey, if you win, I mean, what, what can we say? I mean, our basketball program is not there yet, and they they have they have gotten their basketball program. It took them a while. I mean, historically, their basketball program is worse than ours, but under Bruce Pearl, past decade or so, I guess six, seven, eight years, they have elevated ahead of us, and that was not great. Didn't love that. Didn't enjoy that. So that's got to change. I mean, our student section's done a really good job. Our students have been awesome, but we need a big crowd on Saturday. Because, like, right now, I mean, we're obviously, everyone understands we're not going to the tournament, right? Do I even say that? We're not going to the tournament. But I, I'm just hoping for an NIT bid. And for us to get there, I believe the new NIT rule is, like, they've changed how they're doing the NIT this year. I think the new rule is the top two teams from the power conferences that didn't get into the NCAA tournament, they get bids to the NIT. I think that's what they're doing this year. I think I read that somewhere. And right now, if you look at the SEC standings, okay, so Tennessee's in, Alabama's in, Auburn, Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, they're in. Ole Miss, mm, on the bubble. AM, they're like first four out right now. LSU is ahead of us right now. So... That's a problem. And they're doing this based on the net rankings. Yeah, so I just pulled up here just to double-check myself. Yes, what they're doing this year is the top two teams from each of these power conferences in the net rankings that did not make the NCAA tournament are going to get bids to the NIT. And right now, Texas A&M is significantly ahead of us. I think they're in the 50s. I want to say they're like, yeah, I'm looking, yeah, they're 58 right now. They were 49. They lost... The Tennessee is there now at 58. Ole Miss is at 76. LSU is at 90. We are at 98. So right now, there are three teams ahead of us. The good thing for us is that we have a chance to play all three of those teams over the next week. I guess the next week and a half. So if we can sweep those three teams, I really like our chances. If we can get 
two of the three, I think that we have a solid chance. But here's the problem. Like, we kind of actually need A&M to get into the NCAA tournament. And, and right now, according to Joe, Joe Lenardi, they're not in. They're like first four out. So they're right there truly on the bubble. So we need them to go on a run. So if we're going to win two of the three, let's beat LSU. Because I do think that would potentially jump us ahead of LSU, especially if we can beat Ole Miss at home. And that I don't know if that would jump us ahead of Ole Miss. We need Ole Miss to lose a little bit more. But if we're going to win two of the three, maybe let AM win that game because I think they're the one that actually has the best chance to get in the tournament. And so they they wouldn't factor into maybe stealing a bid from us in NIT because they would be in the NCAA tournament. So then it would be down to us, Ole Miss, and LSU, and we just need to be ahead of one of those two teams. So I think LSU is the team that we have the best chance to jump. We've already beaten them once. We beat them again. And if we beat, like I said, Ole Miss, and I mean, we're not going to beat Auburn at Auburn. Like no one, like, who, who beat the, Kentucky beat them in Auburn. I actually won some money on that last weekend, but I mean, we're not going to go and beat Auburn at Auburn. So there's that. And then we need to make a little bit of a run and win some games in the uh, SEC tournament. So we still have a shot for the NIT, which is really what I'm playing for. Look, I don't want us to be in the position where we're like trying to do the calculus of how we're going to get into the NIT. That is not where I want to be. But saying that, That is progress from where we have been. And we all have to remember where this basketball program is coming from. We got to maintain perspective and be patient here. I get being frustrated. It's okay to be frustrated. I have been very frustrated at times with how we've lost some of these games. But I still think we're moving in the right direction, especially if we can close strong. If we can get an NIT bid this season, I do think that's a strong sign of progress. Now, next year, we do need to be making the NCAA tournament. That needs to be happening. But making the NIT this year is a step in the right direction. So that's where my focus is for this Georgia basketball team. I know, again, that's not where we want to be yet. That's where we find ourselves, and that's what we got to live with for the time being. Uh, all right, real quickly here, Georgia baseball. We are now 7-0, and a perfect start to the season. Let's go. It got a little scary at times on Saturday and Sunday. We ended up walking off both games Saturday and Sunday. We won the Saturday game 7-6. We won the game today. Was it 12-11 was the final score where they walk off, hit batter. And man, that was a back and forth game. I mean, there was one inning, I think it was the fifth inning, I want to say. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure it was the fifth inning. In the fifth inning, we hit four home runs. We actually hit back-to-back-to-back homers, put a seven spot up on the board to take a 9-5 lead. Got down early in this game. Gave Leighton Finley, who started the game, gave up two home runs, two two-run jacks in the in the first three innings, one in the second and one in the third. So we fell behind, but hey, our guys fought back, man. Fought back, and then in the sixth, they come back, they get three more runs, they cut it to 9-8, then we get two more, we push it to 11-8, then they come back in the eighth, they score two, they score one in the ninth, and they tie the game at 11, and then uh, in the ninth, Yes, of course, Charlie Condon with one out, hits a single. Then there's another single. Condon gets a third on a wild pitch. They walk a guy to load the bases, and then they hit a guy, hit Trey Phelps, freshman, to um, send in the winning run. So, yeah, 12-11. I don't love the fact that we struggled to beat Northern Kentucky this weekend. Now, we we run-ruled them in the first game, 15-5. And our bats are still on fire. Like we we have scored ten or more runs in all but one of our games. The only game that we didn't score ten or more was Saturday's game when we beat North Kentucky seven six. The issue on Saturday and Sunday was the same issue that we saw for most of the season last year. Our bullpen, our bullpen just got lit up. Like there's no other way to put it. It got absolutely lit up. I mean, on Friday and Saturday, Charlie Goldstein and Christian Rackna 
gave up one earned run combined. But on Friday, after Goldstein, Blake Gillespie gave up four earned runs. Sophomore Blake Gillespie, who started a couple games for us last year. I think he's got decent stuff, but he gave up four earned runs. And then on Saturday, Marakna did give up one run, but it was an unearned run. And then after that, we brought in Zach Harris. He gave up one earned run. Then Colton Smith, who... We have some hopes he can actually maybe be a, a midweek kind of starter for us, or certainly one of those guys to build off the starters on on, on a weekend on a, in a weekend game. He gave up four earned runs in five innings of, of play. He did strike out seven. I mean, he he actually looked pretty good when he wasn't giving up big hits. Um, he gave up seven hits. So that's the thing. Like, he's either striking them out or they were hitting them. Like seven hits, seven strikeouts. He did walk a guy, but I still think Colin Smith's got some good stuff. He's a young guy. He's a sophomore. I think he'll be okay. But on Sunday, man, today it was it was rough, guys. Leighton Finley, another sophomore, thinks to be a really good pitcher. Had a really good first start last weekend. Gave up four earned runs. Gave up two home runs, two two run jacks in three innings. Josh Roberge came in, gave up four earned runs. He was rolling. He was fine until we got into the sixth, and he got he got lit up a little bit in the sixth inning. Gave up four earned runs that inning. McLaughlin came in. Tyler McLaughlin came in, gave in, gave us a good solid inning of no runs. Then we brought in a, a transfer from Stanford, Brant Panser, who gave up three earned runs. So yeah, the bullpen, man, that's uh, that's what got us this weekend. Now it didn't get us get us because we won all those games, but that has got to improve. Now, I, I had flashbacks to last year when it was just the story, game in and game out. So hopefully that was just. Um, an anomaly this weekend, two days, I guess. I don't know if we can call it an anomaly, but it's two different days and different pitchers. But I know right now, early in the season, because teams like this, we're just throwing a lot of guys out there. I mean, our starters aren't going deep into games. I mean, goals team went five innings, and that's the deepest we've allowed a starter to go. And it's not because they've been getting hit. It's like we're just trying to build them up to that. And we want other guys to get out there, get opportunities to see what we've got, put them in different situations. So that when we get into SEC play, we've got 30 of those games coming up here in a couple of weeks. We'll have a better feel for who our guys are and who we want to lean on. But we need to start figuring that out because we got Tech next weekend. And I don't know about y'all, but I hate Georgia Tech. I don't want to lose Georgia Tech in anything. I want to, at the very least, win that series. I want to sweep them. So we need to get that figured out and figure out who those guys are going to be. And also, I would love to see our starters go a little bit deeper into the game. So those guys have been pitching well, largely. Leighton Finley was the only only time that we've had a starter really get kind of hit at all was Finley today. But he was really good in his first start. I think he's got good stuff. It's just, you know, one of those days for him. But we continue to crush the ball, and that's the one encouraging thing. Like, we we were pretty good offensively last year. We are better offensively this year. Up and down the lineup, we've got guys that can just stroke the ball. And, I mean, we got a ton of guys that can play, that are really good, solid baseball players that just aren't getting a chance to play. I mean, Corey Collins, who played significantly for us the past couple years, I mean, he's getting like one start a weekend. He played first base on Saturday and didn't play outside of that. And Sebastian Murillo got a start today. He was our everyday starting second baseman last year. So we've got a lot of guys, and we're trying to figure out who's going to be playing where. I mean, every day we have like a different starting lineup. The only guys that play the same position pretty much every game have been our shortstop, Colby Branch, and our center fielder, Dylan Carter. And yeah, Fernando Gonzalez plays catcher most games, but uh, he got a day off on, today, actually, on Sunday. But I mean, those are the really only three guys that play the same position game in and game out. Everyone else are moving around. Slade Alford will play second base. He'll play third base. Charlie Connor will play third base. He'll play left field. He might play first base. Logan Jordan will play first base. He'll play catcher. He'll play right field, left field, whatever. Like We're just moving guys around trying to find the, the, the right mix of players. But again, like that's got to stop at some point. At some point, we got to figure out who are our guys and let's go with them. And the first couple of weekends, you can do that. You can afford to do that. And look, we've we've gotten through that, the experimentation, 7-0, and which is all you can ask for right now. 
But again, like next week, Tech, like we, we've got to win some of those games. Like those are resume games for us, plus the rivalry games. I do not want to lose any games, Georgia Tech. So let's try to figure that out. And the SEC play will be here in a couple of weeks. So I like this baseball team. I still very much like them. I mean, obviously, when we gave up the runs that we gave up, on Saturday, especially today on Sunday, you don't love that. And that does give you a little bit of concern, especially when you think back to how things went last year with our staff, particularly our bullpen. And yeah, last week, I know I got a little excited. I got a little bit over my skis and said, oh yeah, guys, like we're definitely hosting a regional. I feel confident that. I mean, look, I guess I'll still stick with that for now, but I will admit maybe I got a little bit ahead of myself there. I need to see a little bit more, but I still at the very least think this is a postseason team, which Talking about progress, that is progress. That is a step in the right direction. In year one under Wes Johnson, I still think there's a chance. I mean, once we get everything figured out, like who we want to be playing in what position and what we want our, our rotation to be and how we want our bullpen set up, once we figure all those things out and we figure out who we're going to lean on, I do think this is a team that still very, very much has a chance to find a way to be in the top 16 and host a regional. I'll say this, it certainly helps to have a guy like Charlie Condon who's hitting, what, 630 right now, 640, something crazy like that. He is legitimately one of the best players in all college baseball. I can't sit here and tell you he is the best player in college baseball. I know a Georgia fan should probably say that, but I don't know that for a fact because I don't get to see all the other college baseball teams the way I get to see other college football teams and college basketball teams. But based on what I have seen over the past year or so since he's been playing, I don't know who that guy is in the SEC right now. I mean, Charlie Condon is as good of a player as there is, I know, what's this, Jack Kinglione, however you say his name, for Florida. He's a really, really good baseball player. But man, Charlie's a guy, I mean, he hits for power, he hits for average. I mean, he is just a freaking stud, a true, legitimate Golden Spikes candidate. And when you have a guy like that in your lineup and a bunch of other big bats around him, you got a chance to win every game. Like, we got down today, but we came back, we fought back. And look, I know we're going to face teams with far better pitching staffs. And like, a team like Northern Kentucky went to a Sunday of a three-game set and we're just hitting the cover off the ball. They run out of arms. I mean, the guy they threw out there in the ninth inning, the guy was throwing like, his fastball was like 82 miles an hour. I mean, it took our guys a second like to just to adjust to what he was throwing because normally you don't hit, that's like batting practice caliber stuff, right? So we had to adjust. Once we adjust, like, okay, it's game over. So we're going to phase teams that have deeper staffs and it's going to be more difficult for us to mount those kind of comebacks certainly but we still have a great lineup and they'll come down to earth eventually they're not going to be scoring 10 plus runs every single game the rest of the way but I mean the way they're in the ball right now it's the best offense that we've had at Georgia what, 10 years a decade or so I mean it's got to be right it's just a matter of that staff rounding into shape and with Wes Johnson here a lifelong pitching coach I feel more confident in that and there being a chance that's going to happen than I did last year. So we'll keep keep tabs on it. We'll keep watching. But right now, I'm loving watching the Georgia baseball team. At the very least, you can say they're a lot of fun to watch, man. It's a really fun baseball team to watch. So if you have not had a chance to get out to Foley Field, come on out, guys. The weather's getting nice. And this weekend might be a little rainy. So Tech, we're playing at Tech on Friday. We got them at home on Saturday. Then we play, what is it, Cool Ray Field, wherever we're playing on Sunday. That's how we're doing it these days. We actually have two midweek games this week. I think we have Presbyterian on Tuesday. And then we got Michigan State. That's an interesting Michigan State on Wednesday. So a couple opportunities for you guys to get out and support the baseball team. They're playing great baseball right now. The Michigan State game, you might be able to get to. It's uh, Wednesday at 6. The Presbyterian game is Tuesday at 3. I mean, so that's a tough one to get to. But then Saturday at 2 o'clock against Georgia Tech. That'll be a ton of fun. So come on out, support the Diamond Dogs. They are a, a fun team to watch, guys. Bring the family. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But all right, guys, that is it today. I appreciate you being here as always. But keep coming back this week, guys. 
Don't look now, but spring practice is just around the corner two weeks away so later this week we're gonna go ahead and start getting y'all ready for it we're gonna start rolling out our spring practice primers yes you heard that right we're gonna be talking legitimate actual football i'm excited about it i hope you guys are excited about it so keep on coming back for more we'll have that for you guys over the next couple of weeks getting you ready for spring practice but um yeah i hope you guys have a fantastic start to your week i'm tyler and as always go dogs